what? I got a fever. And the only prescription is more cowbell. Welcome to uh, Rocky Mountain Comic Book Noise, Episode 12. I decided to uh, bring my podcast back now that I have an H2 Zoom recorder where I can instantly record my feelings about things that I read and I normally just Twitter about immediately. But um, I'm going to do this because I don't always get to talk about certain aspects and things that I'd like to talk about about books because I don't want to hog the conversation in a in a group podcast so I can only focus on certain aspects of a book or uh concepts and in this one I could just free will uh discuss what I want to talk about and I also hope to get Barb involved more with like the TV discussions and and some of the vertigo titles that she's passionate about so um in kicking off this, uh, it might seem a little choppy because I recorded a bunch of this in, in, in intervals. But um, what my intent of this episode was is I was really excited about the new DC-52. So I bought all all the comics that came out this last week. And I recorded uh, spoiler uh, um, reviews of these of these various books and ranked them accordingly. And I hope you enjoy this. I'll... In the in the future, I'll probably do more variety of books. I just want to focus this one on the, the DC Comics, but I do want to do a couple shout-outs. I read the second issue of Fracture from Action Lab Entertainment, and I really enjoyed that. It's about a hero that has you know three personalities within him. He's a, a hero, a villain, and then himself. And at this point, I really don't know who's the dominant personality because it's so whacked out but it's an entertaining read and uh if you get a chance check it out uh, it's from action lab entertainment uh you can always find that book at the cons or you can order it from dcbs i'm sure they have plenty of copies available or you can contact like sean Pryor or any of those guys and ask for it the other book i want to talk about surprised the hell out of me uh was from boom studios it was called the rinse <laughs> and it was only a buck and it's the reason i bought it what, but I was like, why do I want to read a comic book about, you know, like laundering, money laundering? And man, this, this comic is so fucking interesting. I, I enjoyed the hell out of it from beginning to end, and I can't wait to see what's happening in the second issue. I mean, it, it's about this badass guy that's able to move money around without the feds or anybody finding out about how he's moving the money. And he moves around large sums of money. And uh, some guy from Vegas rips off one of the, the big casino owners that owns like half of Vegas and asks for his help to money launder. And and then the FBI becomes involved too. So there's a lot going on. And this story was just fantastic. I highly recommend it. But now I'd like to uh, start talking about the DC-52. Like I said, it might be choppy because I recorded this in bits. But I hope you enjoy it. Thanks. Bye.
the second week of the new DC 52 is seems like it's pretty successful. My comic shop ordered 40 copies of Action Comics, 40 copies of Batgirl, and 40 copies of Detective, and sold out. Now that might not sound like a lot of copies of comics, but he nor- normally orders half or less of those types of books. So he's he's doubled or sometimes tripled his sales on those books. So that's quite an accomplishment. There still were plenty of uh, Green Arrows. He ordered 40 of those, and he had about 20 left. Um, he was almost out of uh, Justice League International. He ordered 40 of those, only had four on the shelf. So he's selling out on the day of sales on a lot of these books. OMAC, he had about 10, but he only ordered 20. Um, Men of War, I think there were about... 10 on the shelf still, and he ordered 20 of those. So he sold half, which is pretty good. And um, Static Shock, about the same sort of thing. Hawk and Dove was almost sold out, but he only ordered 20. I think he only had like five copies left of that. So overall, it's been a pretty successful relaunch. We'll see how it holds up with the next few weeks and the weeks to come. But uh, it was... Pretty interesting to go in the shop today and see a lot of the DCs already gone um, with with one day of sales. So he obviously underordered on on some of the books, but at least he sold through. So I guess that's a good sign. Uh, I picked up every one of these DC fifty two at the shop. I also got coming in from DCBS, and uh, one of the things that I'm going to read first is Men of War, and I will let you know how that turns out. Bye. Alright, this is Mike again, and last night I got the chance to read two comic books before bed of the new DC-52, the first one being Men of War. Um, This one really surprised me. I thought this was going to be a middle-of-the-stack type book, but I, I really enjoyed the hell out of it. I've always liked war comics, so maybe that's why. And this has a modern take on war. Usually you see the war comics take place in World War II. Um, And this one here uh, takes place in current time with the current military. And I really, really enjoyed it. It's it's about Corporal Rock, who seems to be a character that doesn't want to be promoted. He always wants to remain on infantry and and go in and get the job done. And his sergeant, I think his name is Torsai, Torissi is uh, the sergeant that wants to promote him and make sure that he becomes a leader because the, when he does take leadership, uh, his whole everybody that follows him uh, really respects what he does. And even though he's been written up on six counts of insubordination, uh, every time he makes decisions, he seems to make the right ones. And that's why he wants to make him a higher ranking individual and uh th- there also is a general in the uh in the background that's listening to this conversation and he reminds him of uh that he knew his his great uh, grand his granddad uh, corporal frank rock and uh he uh 
said he was one of the best fighters and he has big shoes to fill and kind of like this this rock says you know i got my own own kind of uh, shoes to fill you know rather than my granddad's he's got to form his own path but anyway they go up on a mission to rescue a senator who's been captured when he went to uh, negotiate a ceasefire with some insurgents and they they go in to rescue him they break up into two teams one with sergeant torisi and one with uh, sergeant rock or corporal rock and uh, they end up diving or, or you know jumping out of a plane coming into this area and all hell breaks loose is there's like this superhuman that blows the shit out of everything and it wasn't clear to me if the superhuman was on our side or if he was just happened to be in the area but all hell's breaking loose it seems like on both sides and uh, they're going after these other insurgent soldiers and they're after the other sergeant because they broke up into uh to different teams and the one sergeant's kind of doing his own thing and Sar sergeant rock is leading his his group of men and they end up uh rescuing Torisi, but then the explosion goes off uh and you think it's related to the superhuman and it kills that sergeant and now rock is he, he basically says you're Sergeant Rock. You're a Sergeant Rock. And I don't know if he got promoted on the spot or, or what, but <laughs> the the Sergeant died, and now Rock is leading the team, so there's still whatever team that's left. But the artwork was solid by Tom Derenek. I've always liked his work. And Ivan Brandon, I think, wrote a really good story because it, it sucked me into the story. And then uh, the backup story was Navy Seals, Human Shields, Part 1 of 3, by Jonathan Viken and Phil Winslade. This is about a bunch of Navy SEALs that are under fire by a sniper. One of the guys gets shot, still alive. So one of the guys stays back to, uh, you know, give him medical attention while the other two guys try to take out the sniper. They end up going into the building and finding out that, you know, the sniper is really like a, a female child. And uh, they put their guns on her, but... You know, they say, should we shoot her? It's, and it says, she's an armed combatant. Uh, Roe, which is Rules of Engagement, says we take her out. So they, But they don't take her out. And they find out there's an insurgent in back of her with a machine gun. And he just starts firing. So it, it kind of ends on a cliffhanger. But it was a really well-done comic. I really enjoyed the hell out of that one. So that was Man of War, number one. Uh, it had more than, you know, 20 pages of comic. It was three ninety nine. had two war stories in it. And I thought it... It fit really good into the DC-52, made it a diverse book, because you're not going to find this kind of uh, book anywhere else in DC or Marvel right now. Um, or even in the uh, independents, there's not too many war comics that, that come out. There's a lot of horror comics, but not too much war comics, so I'd recommend this one. I'd give it 4 out of 5. The next one I thought I was going to enjoy a little bit more than uh, um, I did, but I still enjoyed it, and it was by Judd Winnick and Ben Oliver, and it was Batwing number one. And uh, this, introduce you, this introduces you to the Batwing character. It's like a flash forward and then a flashback to tell you how they got there. And uh, introduces you to a villain named Massacre who carries like a machete and just decides to, you know, kill people. It's that, that's like his thing as he enjoys wiping out large quantities of people. Batwing's trying to stop him. 
and then it flash for flashbacks to six weeks ago when um he's trying to take down a drug lord with with batman and they actually uh do take him down this one guy and he kind of tells them to where he needs to go to find his leader and they end up going there and they find a room filled of butchered uh, people and they're all beheaded one of the bodies they find is a beheaded uh, member of what used to be an African superhero team called the kingdom uh, he he actually was a member of that and his he was Earthstrike it doesn't really say what his powers were but he was murdered in this beheading so uh, you find out that he's a cop and uh, he works on the uh, the police force and he's working with some girl to try to investigate it and while he's investigating this thing he ends up coming back to the police station it looks like the police station he's coming back and it's like they wiped out you know somebody wiped out the entire police station except for him and uh, so that's not a good uh, situation but uh, it looks like he's in the Tanasha Police Department so that is where he's located in Africa right now and uh, they ended up it ends up like on a cliffhanger because he walks in the police station and everybody's dead it was a pretty violent book and um, I really think the uh, story is gonna get better as we get to know this character and uh, get to know Batwing a little bit more and his situation and how he is a superhero within the African continent so um, check it out uh, Batwing number one I'd give this one three out of five the artwork was solid I, I really like the artwork the writing was solid it's just that the story didn't hundred percent click with me because it was it was a lot more violence and and stuff that I then I expected and not a lot of character development but I, I think I'm gonna get that as it goes along because I've read almost everything Winnick's done and he does get into a lot of character development so I think you're gonna enjoy this as it goes forward and give it a shot you will like it I, I think it also makes the bat line diverse and it gives them a huge playground within the African continent to to see how one character can work across the whole continent or if he just stays in this one area where he's a, a police officer so we will see and see how he resolves his uh his fight on the first story arc i'm sure with a massacre so uh give it a shot and uh talk to you in a bit with some more uh, dc 52 books the next book that i'm going to talk about is green arrow number one from DC's New 52 by J.T. Krull, Dan Jurgens, and inked by George Perez, which was really unique. I thought this was going to have that controversial cover about um, Green Arrow not shooting the arrow and bow correctly, but uh, this is a different cover artist, so it is not uh, Brett Booth. It is uh, Dave Wilkins, so I'm sure the Brett Booth cover will be coming, and we'll get to check that out. That's probably issue two or three. But uh, this comic was pretty good. It was a good introductory story. Green Arrow is changed. I mean, from the Green Arrow we know, this this guy is pretty much kind of like a Tony Stark, except he does he, he has Queen Industries. I mean, they're using his name. There's somebody else that kind of is running the company. And um, he owns, like, 
there, there's different divisions within Queen Industries. Q-Core is a division that uh, Ollie kind of maintains outside of the main, you know, Queen Industries, and that frustrates uh, this guy Emerson, which is, he controls, it sounds like, most of the shares or whatever of the company. He does seem to have a metal hand, too. I didn't notice that the first time I read it. But um, it opens up in France, and uh, Ollie's talking, he's in a shareholder meeting, basically, and he's multitasking as he's uh, looking at a couple of villains that he's tracking down. Uh, villains I don't believe we've seen before in the DC Universe. Uh, Doppelganger, Supercharge, and Dynamax. Dynamax appears to be a uh, super strong guy, Doppelganger. Not sure what the hell she can do, but she turns into some kind of monster. Looks like she's powerful. And Supercharge, who seems to have electrical powers. So, um, Ollie works with uh, two people. Um, Basically, Naomi, who's kind of like his oracle, she she seems to be kind of like that character that's in uh, Alphas, where she can, you know, bring up tablets in the air and do stuff. I don't know if she's a meta or if she just has a badass computer, but she seems pretty badass. And uh, Jax. Jax is an inventor. He's a scientist that can make, you know, technical um, weapons for Ollie. And anyway, they, they end up in a, a fight where Ollie has to try to take these three guys down. He looks pretty underpowered to do so, but he has all these cool arrows, which is one of his new uh, um, things. He's got all these cool arrows and ends up taking these guys out. Sometimes he does by brute force, by you know fist fighting um, the various characters, which means he's got pretty good uh, skills in fighting. Um, he also has this cool arrow where he actually uh, shot an arrow into the uh, the, the cruise boat that they, he attacked these villains on and uh, gave remote access to Naomi so she can control the boat while he's he's actually fighting these characters. But he actually takes them out and in pr they, get, they get imprisoned and sent to the French authorities. And then he ends up back in Seattle at QCOR and he's got... A woman he's talking to, Ardrian, who 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 seems to be like his spokesperson for for QCOR, and uh, he's kind of delegating to her, hey, you know, go take care of uh, business for me with uh, the shareholders and stuff, and Q, you know, uh, Queen Industries, and try to keep them off my back so I can keep QCOR, you know, doing its own thing. And they have this cool invention called the QPad. It's like the iPad. It's kind of doing well. And anyway, it seems like these villains are uh, put into a maximum security facility in Paris, and then a, a group breaks them out of super individuals. Uh, we don't know who these individuals are, but they look uh, pretty interesting. It looks like there's an Amazon woman that looks like Wonder Woman with pants, or a big Barda type. There's a Wolfman guy. There's a guy without a shirt in a leather jacket. I don't know who the hell he'd be. And then there's uh, a sexy broad next to him, uh, which looks like an alien or such. And then there's like a dual damsel. And it looks like a karate type kid. And uh, a little guy that looks like Puck, uh, except he's in armor. So they break these, these other two guys out of uh, prison. 
and uh, I guess they didn't get Doppelganger, or maybe they'll get her later. But they're, they're, they want them to keep fighting with uh, uh, Green Arrow and possibly kill him. So that's how that issue ends. Uh, very interesting artwork. It, it actually looks more like George Perez than Dan Jurgens just because he inked it. At least I'm seeing things that that look like George Perez. Maybe it's just me. But uh, that is uh, Green Arrow number one. And I would probably give it three out of five stars. It was a good starting point. Introduced you to the large cast of characters. And uh, we'll see where it goes from there. And uh, his his new role in Queen Industries uh, seems pretty interesting. The next book I want to talk about was the book that I really, really wanted to like. Um, and thought it was just okay. And that is Static Shock, uh, Rider. Writers are Scott McDaniel and John Rosam and uh, Scott McDaniel on the artwork. And I've been in and out of Milestone and I like want to get into it. I really love the zombie series and uh, that John Rosam wrote. And I, I wanted to really like this, but it, it was just like a typical superhero story um, in the fact that uh, Virgil is working at Star Labs now, and then somebody escapes in this electrical uh, device, and he has to stop it. And he finds out that that guy's trying to steal it for a certain reason, and he actually does stop it. And you find out that hardware's in this book, which is kind of interesting. You got uh, some more milestone characters showing up. But as he uh, stops this device and then gets the individual out of uh, that uh, sphere, uh, the guy gets shot and killed and, you know, think nothing of it. But there's a group, this is probably the most interesting concept of the book, is there seems to be this organization of criminals and they don't introduce any of them other than one guy called Piranha Man or whatever his name is. But uh, all these individuals seem to be wanting to do like hit behind the scenes criminal activities in New York. And superheroes are starting to show up. And Static is one of them. So uh, they actually send out this Virul to go kill Static. He looks like some kind of robot. Uh, person and then you get some of his family so you get to learn about his family and their status quo and uh, Virgil kind of wants to get his driver's license father's like no it's New York let's just uh, keep using public transportation because we don't want you to pay for have to pay for parking everywhere you go or get your car towed or whatever and uh, Virgil then goes out he has he has like his secret headquarters and uh he's always like on the horn with uh hardware and he gets attacked and kind of disassembled or they disassemble his arm that that one creature but we'll see where that leads i hope this book gets better i i thought the mcdaniel artwork was really appropriate for this type of book and i thought it worked really well his his artwork is usually hit or miss with me but i thought it was pretty solid for for this title um the story was just kind of like pretty standard run-of-the-mill type story to me uh the biggest part that i enjoyed was this organization running in new york that uh, is going after virgil I, it seemed pretty interesting to me 
they, they were trying to steal that device from Star Labs, but uh, Virgil actually stopped them. So we'll see where that, that leads us. Um, what else do we got? We got Swamp Thing. Uh, this was one of my favorites. I, I enjoyed it. This title seemed to take off pretty much where Brightest Day ended and then the other uh, Searching for the Swamp Thing title ended. I haven't read Searching for the Swamp Thing number three yet, but I did read this and it seemed to uh, flow with that pretty well. And it focuses a lot on Alec Holland and uh, has a really long conversation with him and uh, Superman because Superman approaches him about getting help about some of the instances like birds are dying in Metropolis, they're just falling out of the sky. Bats were dying in the bat cave. Fish were dying in the ocean for Aquaman. And then there's this dig with this uh, huge mammoth that, or, or mastodon, and th that actually got stolen, you know, in this architectural dig. And there's that mystery that's going on. And we find Alec Holland working at a construction site trying to find a different occupation or get away from what he was normally doing and Superman trying to talk to him about going back into it. And this Superman is in the uh, that armor-type suit. He seems a lot more like, you know, this is five years later, obviously, but he seems a lot more like the Superman that we know or, or knew in the old universe as far as the way he um, portrays himself. So um, that was a pretty good scene and then you have that mystery with that mastodon and the guys are trying to figure it out and here's where you got the horror aspect of swamp thing happening um they go to try to find the mastodon these guys that were doing the dig and then this these weird looking flies or bugs start biting these guys and it causes them this is what's pretty creepy and stuff to turn their heads in like an owl 360 you know all the way around Actually, it's 180 because now you're the front of your head's facing, you know, the back of your body. And there's three of them that are affected by that. And they're walking around with their heads knocked around. And that was unusual. And then uh, Alec Holland is, is in his bedroom dreaming and uh, flashback. And he wakes up to a bunch of uh, plants and flowers in his apartment. And it looks like all hell's breaking loose. It runs out of the apartment uh, or hotel, and uh, he runs into Swamp Thing. And that's how that ends. And the story is by Scott Snyder, who's been knocking it out of the park. The uh, artist is Yannick Pocket. And the last time I saw him was on uh, Batman Inc., and he was one of my favorites. And I really enjoyed this uh, particular take on Swamp Thing, and I think it's only going to get better. So I enjoyed that one. Four out of five stars. Uh, the next one I'd like to talk about is Stormwatch. Uh, this one, didn't know what to think. I think this is going to be the surprise hit of all the DC-52. Um, it, it was really, really solid as far as uh, story, I thought. It, it establishes the character's... A lot of them I kind of recognize. I, I've kind of been in and out of the Wildstone universe, so I don't recognize a lot of them, but I do recognize the engineer from the Authority. A lot of these characters are from the Authority. Apollo and Midnighter. Martian Manhunter uh, still has his links to Justice League because he does mention it in here, but it, it starts off with the engineer, this guy Adam, who, who was in the original Stormwatch, I believe, 
and this other character um, monitoring what's going on in Moscow because they sent off Hawksmoor, uh, another character, a projectionist, and Martian Manhunter to retrieve Apollo, who appears to be like one of the most powerful beings in the uh, new DCU. And uh, they they... They actually go after him, but uh, Apollo wants none of that. He's like, you know, I don't want to join your cause. I, I want to be left alone, and he kind of leaves. And meanwhile, the engineer and, and crew are, are monitoring the moon. And they have uh, H- Harry Tanner, who's the swordsman, um, going to the moon, and he's being attacked by this entity, which turns out to be a huge eye and... uh he seems to be kind of like the herald, like a herald of Galactus, as he goes to worlds before worlds are destroyed, and he kind of tries to toughen up the uh, the uh, population so they can fight, you know, in the upcoming battle. So that was really interesting. Uh, he, he also seemed to connect himself to Harry Tanner and give him some other kind of power. Um, and then you have Adam and. I think they call her uh, the spirit of the 21st century. Um, they actually go to find this huge spiked creature-like item and uh, explore it in the Himalayas. And then Apollo gets confronted by, the, as he escaped, he they catch up to him, you know, the uh, Stormwatch team that was sent, deployed after a Martian Manhunter tries to attack him, well, it looks like attack him, but he's like, we're not here to attack you, we really need you to save the world, we're not here to recruit you, we need you for this upcoming crisis. Um, But while that happens, all three of the Stormwatch members get punched out, and it turns out to be the Midnighter, so... That was a really solid story. The artwork is really solid. I don't even remember seeing this guy before. Uh, Miguel Sepulveda. Uh, really good artwork. Very, very good artwork. Paul Cornell wrote a really solid title. That was 4 out of 5. The The next one I want to talk about is Justice League International, number 1. Um, this one was by Dan Jurgens and Aaron Lepresti. I really like this one. Uh well, I've always been a Booster fan. The only thing I didn't like is, I don't know where the hell Skeets is. I miss Skeets. But it, it takes off with this one guy. He's kind of like a Maxwell Lord type, I guess, working for the UN who's trying to form these team and convince the various countries uh, that they need to form the Justice League International now that superpowers are uh, popping up all over the the universe. And uh, his name is Andre Briggs, and he convinces them... And he kind of goes through a roster of like who he wants to recruit, and he makes Booster the leader. And really, I think it's because he thinks Booster's fairly powerful. But the, I think the main reason he's making him a leader is because Booster, he thinks he can manipulate him, and he wants to control this group. But they, they go through the list. They mention Plastic Man, and he's saying, "Hell no, you know these guys. We don't, we don't want that guy on the team." But they mention Ice, Vixen. Fire. They mention Green Arrow, but they say he's like a loose cannon. They don't want to bring him aboard. They have Red, Rocket Red, August General, and Iron Guy Gardner, uh, Blue Beetle. They say he's too much of a rookie, so they don't go after him. And then Batman uh, and Godiva. 
who we last saw in the Resistance in the Flashpoint series. And they agree to form this team. Meanwhile, in Peru, the United Nations research team is out there, and they get swallowed up. And Booster is finally showing up at the Hall of Justice. There's a Hall of Justice. And it seems like people are not really welcoming to this new uh, super team coming into the Hall of Justice. They have no business there, according to them. And they're not... It seems like they're... It's kind of like the mutant type thing. They don't like superpowers at this point in time in the DCU. Now that they're all popping up. And there's two guys that are real angry about it, and they come into play later on, but Booster agrees that he'll be the leader of the team. And Guy Gardner's there, and he throws a hissy fit like Guy Gardner would. He's like, you know, fuck this. I, I'm i a highly decorated member of the Green Lantern Corps, and you're putting this clown in charge, you know? Uh, he pitches adult diapers on commercials, and I don't want anything to do with it. So he, he storms out of there, and as he storms out, Batman's on the roof, and he's like, Guy, you know, we really need you on the team. Uh, we think that Booster will make a good leader. I need you here because I, I want to understand the UN's intentions. So Batman has his own intentions to monitor what why the UN's doing what they're doing. And uh, Godiva seems really sexy, like she's a, wants to come on to Booster there. That was kind of interesting, I thought. And what else do we got? Uh, there's a conflict between Rocket Red and uh, August General and Iron. They don't seem to like each other very much. So he has to form this team. They get they get into their little... Uh, it looks like the Blackbird from the X-Men. And uh, Batman's actually driving the ship, and they go out to Peru. They, they find uh, that the uh, comm link from the researchers out in Peru are is just there, but the, the scientists are not. And then the ground explodes and all these weird little monsters start attacking and then they start fighting these monsters. And meanwhile at the Hall of Justice, the, uh, the two guys that I was talking about that are not liking this issue, they decide to put, plant a bomb there as terrorists and, and start fire to the Hall of Justice and they blow it up. So they fight the first wave of creatures, kind of like the Mole Men, I guess you could say. They, they get through them. They beat him up, and then the ground starts erupting again, and this huge robot-looking creature comes out of the ground, and it looks like it's it, might, it says JLI versus the Signal Men, so whatever that turns out to be. So it's almost like a Mole Man thing, except it's a robot. Instead of that huge monster that the Mole Man's guiding, a big robot pops out, and these weird little moloids. So, yeah, it's it's got like the characters down like from what i can tell the only interesting thing is uh they don't know each other as well as they used to know each other in this new dcu it's like they're aware of each other and they've been on missions together but they haven't been together as much as we know them in the jli or that last uh, series generation lost in which we got to really really know rocket red Actually became one of my favorite characters in there, and Fire and Ice seem to. Uh, it's 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 pretty cool because it's almost like the Global Guardians because you got Godiva, you got representation from every country, Ice and Fire from Brazil and August General and Iron from China and the Russian and 
United States and Africa, and it seems seems to be like the Global Guardians, which I, I really like. And uh, I'd give this one a 4 out of 5. Almost a 5 out of 5, but I'll give it a 4 out of 5. Maybe because Skeets was missing. And um, I'll come back later with some more reviews uh, of the new DC-52. Uh, I'll be talking about action and a couple of others. So I'll talk to you later. Bye. Got a few more books to talk about. Um, the next one on the plate is Hawk and Dove Number One by Sterling Gates and Rob Liefeld. Always have enjoyed Sterling Gates' writing, especially on Supergirl. Him and Jamal Eigel kind of brought that title to the forefront, and I'll always, when you say Supergirl, I'll always remember that creative team uh, right beside Peter David when you mentioned Supergirl. Um, but. He's bringing his uh, mark on to Hawk and Dove with Liefeld, who did the original uh, series that was launched back in the, I think it was the 80s. Um, the original series, I was amazed. Like when I first saw Liefeld's art, it was like his first artwork. It was so different and, and really stood out. And I was like, man, it's awesome. Well, he, he, he takes off where he left off because, man, his artwork in this is great. Um, there's like a, a scientific uh, a terrorist uh, called Alexander Quark in this book. And uh, he's destroying a lot of different shit and doing causing all kinds of terror with his zombie creations and all kinds of stuff. And he's got a hidden agenda. He's like a anarchist, if you ask me. But uh, anyway, the story opens up with the news reporter talking about Alexander uh, Quark and giving you some background on him about his terrorism activities and such. And this series melded really well coming out of Brightest Day. It seems like Brightest Day was pertinent and, you know, Swamp Thing flowed out of that. Um, Hawk and Dove's flowing right out of that. I assume Aquaman will flow right out of that. We even get Dead Man in this book and the relationship that he has with Dove. So that's great. But anyway, um, this ship was taken over by some of these goons, or, or airplane, and it's heading its way into the, uh, the monument, the Washington Monument, and it's going to crash into it as a terrorist activity. And uh, Hawk and Dove are on the plane, and they're trying to stop the activity. Uh, Dove is trying to fly it away from the um, monument while Hawk is fighting these goons on, aboard the ship. And uh, on the ship, these zombies come come alive and then they start fighting and they're like super powered zombies with like these wolverine type claws not quite wolverine-ish but metal claws and they're attacking and uh, hawk is trying to keep them away from dove while dove is trying to fly the plane they manage to avert disaster um dove actually gets out of the plane and uh tries to make up for the engine that's uh, not working anymore by flying underneath it while Hawk is still fighting and trying to actually fly the plane once he has taken out the zombies. They do uh, somewhat miss the monument, but they do crack off pieces of the monument, and uh, that was disappointing, so they didn't win that one. And we get um, introduced to Washi Watabe. He's a special crimes DC you know, police department detective. He wants their help in tracking down this terrorist. And he's asking for their assistance. 
And uh, what a what a weird name that is. What a watch what a wanna be. <laughs> but uh we then cut to a scene at the Hall House where uh you're getting some backstory as Hank Hall is talking to his father, who looks pretty fit and young, except he's got gray hair. He looks a lot like his son. And um they're talking about the backstory about him losing Don and he's he's really upset with uh picking up this new dove. Um and she seems to have a secret of why she's the new dove and she she doesn't want Hank to know. But anyway, uh that discussion comes about when she's talking to Dead Man, so their relationship is still intact after Brightest Day. He talks about their powers and how they are, you know, one is for chaos and one is for order and they kinda of balance each other and how they, you know, say Hawk and Dove and they kind of get the powers. And uh we, we cut to another scene later on where um there's this family that are that's uh walking around near a pool and one of those zombie creatures comes out and attacks the family and Hawk actually pulls that zombie out and he's like ready to kick its ass. Or it looks like Hawk. It could be somebody else. It, it it's kinda hard to tell because it looks like Hawk, but the colors seem to be darkened. Almost like it might be a dark hawk or like um, Kestrel or something. I don't know. We'll see. He looks like he's a bad sort. So he doesn't look... He has the same costume, so it's got to be Hawk, but I just wasn't sure. But anyway, Liefeld kicked it up a notch on this book. I mean, I thought it was sol really solid artwork. I've always been a Liefeld fan. I know some people don't like him, but I like him a lot. And uh, Sterling Gates had really good dialogue, and this makes that to be a great title. I give it four out of five. The next title, I, um, Detective Comics. This had a, even though they said they weren't going to revamp the Batman books too much, this did have a feeling like it was a new book, because it was like the first appearance between Batman and the Joker. And this Joker does seem pretty psychotic. It's giving his death st statistics and everything. And this is by Tony Daniel. He's doing the artwork and the, the uh, writing, and he's doing a fantastic job. I, I, at least I thought it did. Um, it introduces you to Jim Gordon and his relationship to Batman. Uh, it introduces you to how the Joker's killing a lot of people throughout the city, and Batman's trying to track him down. Um, he does get close, but he often finds himself trying to save somebody. As the Joker gets away, he'll save like a little girl, and... Uh, the Joker will get away, but uh, he he is working with Jim Gordon. The police seem to be after Batman at this time. In other words, he's against the law. They're shooting at him and all that. The only one on the side is Police Commissioner Gordon. And Police Commissioner Gordon, uh, you might note, is v much younger than the Comort Gordon that we're used to. He's He doesn't have any gray hair and uh, just got the mustache. Um, later on, there's another uh, Joker incident you know, attack where he tries to set up the police and he, he actually work, it works and blows up a lot of police officers and Batman realizes that the Joker stood around to like witness his in his glory what he just accomplished and uh, Batman fights with him and he actually captures him in the first meeting and takes him to takes him to uh, they want to put him in Blackgate but there, Arkham is saying, no, he's my patient. This guy's sick. We need to take care of him. And then you have like a weird ending to this story. It's it's really kind of creepy. But and, and 
there's this guy called the doll maker and it looks like the joker's working with him and it's really creepy because then the doll maker comes in and he actually carves the it looks what appears he does is carves the joker's face off of this this the joker and then puts it on the wall and it just looks really really creepy and that's how it ends and that was an also another four out of five um the next one i don't know if i liked it or not it's hard for me to tell um Action Comics number one uh, by Grant Morris and Rags Morales. I will say I, I love the art. I've always been a Rags Morales fan, and I was disappointed to see that he might not be doing a few of the other issues. Uh, I guess he couldn't get them done in time, but he was the artist to draw this arc. I, I mean, he had it nailed as, as young Superman enters Metropolis, and that's kind of where it starts. You know, he's in a T-shirt and jeans, and he's getting started out. And they introduce this character who's kind of a, he's kind of like a, a rich tycoon in Metropolis, but he, he uh, is a bad, bad person. He manipulates people, he kill, he does what he needs to do to make the dollar. His name is Mr. Glenn Morgan. And uh, it opens up with Su Superman pretty much going after him and saying, hey, you will say to the public what you've done. And you will, you know, plead guilty, and he kind of does say it, but nobody really witnesses what he said. So it was kind of like all for naught. You know, he's like, I'm guilty. I did what you said. I used illegal cheap labor, no safety standards. I bribed city officials. I lied to everyone. And he's like, you know, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> Super Superman gets him under arrest but then the police are shooting at him because the public doesn't seem to like him you know they they treat him like an alien or an outcast but uh the interesting thing about this book is you have luther and uh general lane behind the scenes and they're working together lane seems general lane seems insane in other words he's not like crazy lane like was in um the superman you know new krypton series or in any of the other ones, he seems more sane, like he he doesn't trust Superman, but he's working with Luther to try to capture him. And Luther is going about everything like he's testing him, like he's shooting at him, doing everything he can to try to find out more scientific information about Superman. And he doesn't care about the lives that he puts in danger. Like there's this scene, and, and I really don't know what they were trying to betray here, but there's a wrecking ball going through this house and there's people living in that house like homeless and super Su superman I, I keep on wanting to say superboy because it's like a younger version of superman but it's not superboy but the wrecking ball is going through the house and and he comes through and he's he starts saving them and he gets all the people out of the the house that they're demolishing but anyway the part that kind of bothered me is these tanks these LX1s just show out of nowhere and they start shooting shit at Super Superman in, in the streets in, in public. You don't usually see a fucking tank going down the street, but this one they've authorized it too and they shoot like electrical nets at him and they hit him with stuff and here's where the controversial scene is that a comic book um retailer decided to not carry action comics or any grant morrison works after seeing this panel which is fucking ridiculous because you're, you're selling a product whether you like the product or not you should still sell it because there are customers that want that product 
If you, if you don't like that, you're in the wrong business. But this fucker sells crossed. He sells the boys. I, a lot more things that are more, more offensive than what Superman says here. He says GD, which is short for, you know, goddamn. And, uh, that's after he takes the wrecking ball to the tank and the tank explodes and it kind of blows him away. But we, we you gotta remember when, when you read this comic, uh, you, you have to sit back, even though I didn't like it as much as I wanted to. Um, you got to remember, and I got to keep reminding myself on a lot of these titles, that this is not the character Superman that I've known for 40 years of my, well, 35 years of my life. It's not the same character. This is a, This is a revamp of the character. It's a retelling of how he is. He's a different character. He may have been raised slightly different. He, he's going about things a little more aggressively than the other Superman would. He's he, he's a little more careless in what he does, but he is he does seem to be for the people. So he does destroy the tanks, rescues the people. The people are kind of like at least the the people that were in that building are very thankful for him. But then all of a sudden the police arrive and they're like, "Bring the robocopters!" and they start shooting at him, and the police start shooting at him. But he he gets away and turns back into Clark Kent. And he seems to have an apartment, and he's renting from this woman, Miss N. And they don't really talk about Miss N, but she looks like an Aunt May-type character. She has a lot of boarders in her house, and she seems to really like Clark. And he does pay her for um, his work reporting on Superman, you know, doing stories. And he here's the interesting thing. He's working for a comp- competing, a com- a comp- the competition as... Lois and uh, Jimmy work for a different uh, uh, reporting organization. I, I imagine they work for the Daily Planet. Clark doesn't, but he does seem to, they do establish that Clark is um, best friends with Jimmy Olsen, and they talk back and forth. And Lois thinks of him as competition, and he warns them not to get on this train, okay? Because he knows something. But they get on this uh, subway train rail system anyway, and. Uh, there's a bomb on board and Superboy knows that there's a bomb on board. I mean, Superman knows there's a bomb on board. So he like flies out there at super speed and he actually stops the train from crashing into uh, the daily planet and causes lots of destruction. I'm sure death. So, you know, Lane, not Lane, but Luther planned all this. He doesn't care who he kills this Luther. Um, The Luther that I know, he was careless with death, but, it seemed like he, I don't know, maybe it's just me. Maybe he seemed like he, the old Luther cared about people. He just hated aliens or hated anybody that was better than him. But he loved Metropolis because the Metropolis, he believed, was his. This one seems like he doesn't give a shit. Honey Badger don't give a shit. I mean, he's just going to do whatever he needs to do, but it looks like he captured Superman. And the next uh, series is called Superman and Chains. And while I did enjoy it, it wasn't as good as I wanted it to be, I guess. And the last, the other book I want to talk about briefly, I don't even want to go into it because this was launched the week before, but was the Justice League book. This one, um, the first read-through, I I liked it. The second read-through, I, I, I liked it even more. And the reason for that was because I was, the second time through, I was able to detach myself from everything I knew about the DC universe. The first time through, I was 
still struggling with that concept and that idea. And uh, the, the idea, this is really a Batman title, I mean, story, and it's introducing three, four characters. And it's doing a good job. I mean, some people are complaining, well, I don't see everybody that's on the cover. Well, you got to start somewhere. And if you remember the old Justice League story, the very first one where they first meet, you know, you got introduced to Flash, you got introduced to Martian Manhunter and all the different characters. Uh, um, Green Green Lantern and and uh, in, in, in that comic, you got a little bit of glimpse of them individually. And then you got the whole picture of what they were trying to protect, you know, Earth and, and the villain associated with that. Well, in this story, it's, it's kind of like a similar thing in a modern take. And we go, this takes place five years ago. So it's, it's kind of like in the time of action, it's five years ago before, you know, Superman, Superman, and, you know, heroes are just starting to pop up. Batman's running from the police, getting shot at. And he's going after a character in, in this, like, homeless outfit. You don't know why the fuck is he going after this. He looks like a parademon. Uh, you don't know if it's a parademon, but you find out later that he is. He's tracking him down, and all of a sudden Green Lantern shows up and starts beating the shit out of the parademon as well. And Hal is portrayed as real cocky, uh, Batman as young and um, confident, and he actually pulls the ring off of uh, Green Lantern at one point because Green Lantern's like, shit, you don't got any powers? What good are you? Kind of thing. And, and Batman's like, go fucking take your ring off of you. But anyway, when he does that, they end up saying they needed to t kind of do like a team-up. So it's like a team-up book. Let's get together. Let's do what we need to do. He basically grabs Batman. They go forward. They kind of fly over the area, but... Then you get a scene that introduces uh, Cyborg, where he's a football star. You know, Vic is star quarterback or running back, one of the two. Can't really tell in this portrayal right here. But he seems like a star, scoring touchdowns and all that. And he's, he's very distant with his dad. His dad's missing his games because his dad's at, like, Star Labs, and he's always working. And So he's not really, you know, bonding with his father very well. And uh, it kind of introduces that. And meanwhile, Hal and Batman fly overhead, and they end up at LexCorp. And Green Lantern walks in. He's like, "I'll handle this," you know. They're they're going in the. And as soon as he says that, he gets belted. So he kind of got his ass kicked by Superman and Batman for being cocky. And then Superman's like, "Well, what do you do?" So it's a lot of action. It was fun. I give it four out of five. Whereas Action Comics, I gave three out of five, but. The more and more I think about it, I really liked it. <laughs> I liked aspects of it. So um, that's four more titles, and I'm going to save one of the best for last, which is Omac, which kind of blew my fucking mind. But uh, that's it for now. i got to go. Talk to you later. All right, now we're going to cover the final few books of uh, DC New 52. And they all happen to be five out of fives. And it, it's kind of weird how it all turned out because I read these three last. These were the last books that I read of the DC New 52 for this week. And uh, the first one I want to talk about is Animal Man by Jeff Lemire, art by Travel Foreman. And uh, 
I loved the Animal Man Vertigo series. Um, it made me go back and pick up his early adventures and learn more about the character just because I was so excited when they relaunched Animal Man. And I liked the entire run, which ran a long time. It was like 100 issues, I think. And there were different writers on it and different perspectives, and I enjoyed them all, actually. Uh, but one one constant, I think that Animal Man's always had uh, in that Vertigo run was that his family was important in his life. And Jeff Lemire gets that. And that that's what this book focuses on. It, it's a family book. And that's what makes this book special. It also has one of the best covers that, that I've seen in the DC-52. And uh, I enjoyed that. But this this story opens up with an article like, in a, a magazine called The Believer. It's an interview with Buddy Baker, all prose on the first page. And it's essentially going through his career. You know, he was a superhero. Well, he first was a stuntman, and then he was a superhero, and and now he's doing an actor. He's being an actor in a movie, and it, it's talking like an interview is going back and forth between him and Buddy Baker and the scene opens up in the kitchen as he's reading his own interview and he's saying, man, I'm coming across as an arrogant bastard. And Ellen's listening to him and she seems kind of, uh, I don't know, like not very happy in this like issue initially. Like he's not getting paid for his movie yet because it's an indie movie. And he's like, you know, I, I kind of miss the old animal man. I miss the old buddy, you know, that kind of thing, perspective. And then... uh so that's his relationship with Ellen. Uh, he loves Ellen, and she loves him back, but I think she's kind of burned out with the state that he's in right now. And then Maxine comes in, which is his daughter, and she's like, Daddy, give me a doggy, please. Daddy, I want a dog. I want a dog so bad. And, and Buddy's like, you know I can't. we can't get a dog because if we have an animal in close proximity to me for long periods of time. It messes with my connection to the other animals. And she's really upset about that, you know, that that's true. And she pouts and she walks off. And then, and then, um, Buddy's son comes in and he's like, Hey, there's something on the news. There's this guy and he, He's uh, causing issues at the hospital. I think it was at the hospital. Yeah, it was hospital. He's holding some guy hostage. And um, so he has to head out there. And uh, he goes as Animal Man. And he's got a new costume. Not too crazy about the new costume color. The The design doesn't bother me. It's just the color. I, I miss the old color. And I miss the jacket. God, that jacket was badass. Uh, and then the A... It's kind of the same format. And he goes flying out, and he's, you know, stoked. He's, He says, I can't get used to this as I tap into the morphogenic field. I, it always feels like it's the very first time, so he loves it. And he's going to be a hero, even though now he's more of an activist for animals than he is a hero. You know, he'll put on his costume from time to time, but um, Ellen kind of convinced him to go this time. And he... Because she says, you know, I miss the old buddy. So he like puts a costume on, he gets there. He finds out that there's this father who lost his daughter recently in in the child's ward. And he's holding 
the the child's word hostage because he's like telling the doctors bring my daughter out bring my daughter out well his daughter's dead they can't bring it out and they're concerned that he's going to hurt somebody you know he's obviously ill be mentally ill because he lost his daughter and he doesn't know what to do but he gets there and then he shoots at animal man when he's like trying to calm him down and help these kids out like in the cancer ward or whatever but he he's able to tap into the field and he becomes several different animals you know all at once diff for different reasons and he avoids getting shot knocks out the guy in the gun and then uh when he comes out of it the police guy's like are you okay man what's wrong look at your eyes and he's like bleeding from his eyes like you know what's that about he says do you need to see a doctor so he does an initial doctor's check out and then he heads back home he doesn't know what that's about it's weird that he was bleeding from the eyes he talks about how much he loves his family how important they are to him he does he kind of relates to that father that lost his daughter you know like man if i lose my kids i don't know what the hell i would do and then and then he goes to sleep and then he sees his son cliff you know he's like what the hell and he's like we got to get out of here we got to run and you know maxine's crazy she'll rip us a new one and she's got the little animal man costume in and she's with a huge dog and cliff falls over dead because his guts have been ripped out and this just gets weird and then animal man starts to deteriorate so all you can see is like his blood vessels and stuff like if you go to body world and you see that one body that has only the the blood vessels and stuff in it to so to show the circulatory system this is what kind of like what he looks like right now and uh he sees a bunch of other dead animals in the red and then he wakes up he's like ah crap and he's screaming at his wife and then she's so he wakes up cold sweat you're looking for Ellen. He's like, Ellen. And he's like, buddy, come here right now. It's Maxine. And he goes out there and Cliff and Ellen are there looking at Maxine. And there's all these dead animals that have been brought to life by Maxine. So she's starting to manifest the power. Can you feel it? Five out of five, baby. Five out of five. And I don't give it justice, but man, this is a sweet book. And, uh, Travel Foreman did do the cover, and oh, it was so sweet. This guy's good. I hope he stays on the book for a while. I hope he can get his book out on time so they don't switch out artists because I think he's fantastic. Wow. That was exciting. And then Batgirl number one. Didn't know what to think. A lot of controversy surrounding this book. Oh, my God. They're taking away our Oracle and replacing it with Batgirl, and what's going to happen? Well, I'll tell you one thing. Gail Simone did not disappoint. Okay, she had a lot to live up to. She had a lot of controversy around her about what she was going to do with the character. She made a solid, good female character book. And she introduced this character called Mirror. And, oh my God, I don't know if this Mirror's been around. I don't remember him if he has been. But damn, this is such a cool-ass concept. He's like the Final Destination dude. He's like, death. And he's like, you should have fucking died. So I'm going to come after you. He's got his little checklist. And he's going through his checklist. And guess who's on the checklist? Barbara Gordon is on the list. But the first guy he goes to is this John, uh, Mr. Carter. His name is uh, Graham Carter. And... 
He says, you survived a sinking ship in Portugal where all your other fellow sailors did not. How did you survive? And then he actually drowns the fucker with his own hose and kills him. And you see on the next on the list is Barbara Gordon. And then you cut to later when she's in her costume. Costume looks really nice. The vibe goes very much with Jim Lee's Batman redesign. Um, it's got like an armor type looking system to it. The gloves and stuff and the knees, they kind of match the, the Batman costume. Very well done. Um, I forgot to mention his name is, uh, Ardian Saif. We, we've seen some of his stuff in Blackest Night and other books. Oh my god, is he kicking ass? Oh jeez, this is some of the best of his art I've ever seen. It is so detailed, so crisp. Um, I'll give uh, props to Vicente Cerfuentes for inking it too. It's very nice, very, very nice. And um, so she's out swinging his back, girl. And we cut to a scene, and this scene is pretty frightening. It's always been like one of those scary things that could happen in real life when some crazy fucks just like to break into people's house randomly or maybe for some for fun and for kicks and kill the family. And you see this in a lot of like horror-type movies. Um, I can't think of any offhand, but I've watched a few. You know, they knock at the door and all of a sudden they break in your house and then you're captive until they decide to kill you. Well, that's what this fucker does. And these guys have actually been doing it and they have actually named by the press the Brisby Killers. And the one that named them is uh, Jack Ryder. Can anybody say the Creeper? Huh? Creeper? Um, so anyway, there's like four of them. They're all in Halloween mock costume. You know, one's dressed as a ghost. He seems to be the leader. Uh, one is uh, Frankenstein, one is a Dracula, one is a devil. And they're saying, hey, look at these pictures. These are pictures of our work, you know, of how we kill these people. And it says, if you if you make a lot of noise, I'll kill your kids too. And all of a sudden, Batgirl comes to the window, poof, takes out Frankenstein, goes after the devil, um, takes out a couple of people, boom, boom, boom. Pretty badass. Um very nice art and then the the spooky dude he's holding the mother captive with the the father with the gun to his head and she's just looking at his body language kind of like Cassandra King you know kind of because she re read body language better than anybody but Barbara sees the language and says he'll do it it's in his body language I know he's gonna kill him anyway that's what he came here to do she gets the batarang her batarang and goes wow Right to the gun, you know, where he had the gun and takes out his whole hand. And then this fucker gets pissed and knocks her out the window. And there are, like, obviously several, several stories up in the air. And she managed to grab onto the balcony while holding that guy. And he's like, drop me, you know, drop me. And he's, she's like, no, I'm going to make you serve justice, blah, blah, blah. And, uh... And they, she gets away, and this scene is pretty amazing because you can really feel the emotion the artist captured is when, how grateful that this mother and father are that Batgirl saved them. It's, you know, God bless you, Batgirl. We love you. You feel it. You feel the emotion. And then you cut to a scene where the Joker, 
you know, a flashback about her getting shot by the Joker and she wakes up in a cold sweat. And she's like, you know, she can never forget that. Anytime there's a knock at the door, she kind of panics because that reminds her of what the Joker right, did to her. I'm back. And it and mentions it how long she's been paralyzed. But anyway, we cut to a uh, scene here where she wakes up in that sweat and all that about she she had been paralyzed for three years and couldn't have any let you know come fill her legs. It doesn't talk about her actually being Oracle during that time frame or what she did. Um, it just mentions that she was paralyzed and then she comes talks to her 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 dad and her dad doesn't want her to go off to college. He's like, I I love you more than anything. Why don't you just stay here? And she's like, No, Dad, it's time to stretch my legs. Don't you think? Time to spread my wings. So she goes and she meets her new roommate. I think her name was Ashley, if I remember correctly. I'm not going to try to find it now. But she seems to work at night, which is good at a bar, and she paints during the day. So uh, she's going to be her roommate, and they seem to hit it off pretty well. Uh, she adds some wit in there in the dialogue because of the way the introduction was done and she seems to be an activist because she has on the wall like fight the power and uh, she mentions that she is an activist meanwhile you cut to the uh, hospital and you have two detectives there and they're guarding over that one asshole that had the ghost mask that was going to kill that family that jackass fucking should have let him fall but anyway um this jackass has been pain He's a prick. And they're protecting him. Meanwhile, Mirror comes to the door. And this fucker... Mirror's got... I don't know. He, I don't know if he's a bad guy, a good guy, or what. But he knows this guy should have died, right? Like, he should have fallen and died. So he's, like, got the final destination. This fucker's on my list. I need to go kill him. And, uh... She goes after... He goes after him. And... The detectives know there's commotion there, and they're like, oh, shit. And Barbara's like, she has her uh, bat bat cycle in the back of her van. You know, she has, like, a handicapped van, I guess, because she was handicapped for a while. And uh, comes in the bat cycle. She rides the bat cycle into the hospital to try to find out what the hell's going on. And uh, they shoot one detective dead. The other detective looks like Renee Montoya, but I, I can't say for sure. Um... They don't mention her name. She's like, you killed my partner. And she's like, stop him. She actually freezes with a uh, mirror because he's got a gun and he's pointing it exactly like the Joker was pointed it when he shot her in the back. So she freezes, freezes out of panic because she's flashbacking to that scene. And meanwhile, while she's frozen, like petrified, he grabs that, the guy that was you know, the guy in the ghost costume that's in the hospital now that was going to kill that family, and he pushes the bed right out the fucking window. Well, that's justice, because this guy fucking deserved to die. He he should have desired, you know, a more painful death, in my opinion, but he, he, he ended up getting thrown out the window. That's good enough. And then uh, he's like, good night, ladies. It's been a pleasure. Um... I don't know if he can, like, tell, like, that Batgirl's Barbara Gordon or he might have done something because Barbara Gordon's on his list. But uh, while he's still there pointing the gun at Barbara, uh, this detective, who, whose name I don't think they mention, points it at, at Barbara and she says, You let 
him kill that man. You watched him die, murderer. So she's, she's like pointing a gun at him. So this was fantastic. Way to go, Gail. Way to go. Comic books. Okay, and <laughs> this one is like a geekgasm for me. Uh, if anybody knows me, uh, one of my greatest heroes in comics is Jack Kirby. Uh, I love the man. I love his art style, especially like in the later Fantastic Four issues. And when he went to DC and did Commandy, New Gods, Mr. Miracle, um, OMAC, which is phenomenal. If you haven't read that hardcover, you owe it to yourself to read that hardcover. You will be blown away. You'll be, think about it. Think about the concepts he put in that comic book. And think about the time that he put those com- that thing stands up today as being awesome. I'm like, fucking awesome. And and then you'll also know that I collect Tom Scioli artwork. I mean, he's probably the only artist that I really make it a point to try to seek him out at cons and get sketches. Because he draws like Jack Kirby. Well, lately, Giffen has been channeling Kirby like I don't know how he does it, but... Man, in Outsiders and Doom Patrol and anybody that listens to DC Noise knows that that has really has a big appeal to me. Uh, I'm more of a a guy who focuses on the story. I, I have to admit, you know, I can I'll go back and admire the artwork maybe the second time I'm thumbing through it. But with this artwork, I could just absorb it, and I suck it in, and I can't get enough, and I'm obsessed with it. And as soon as I read this uh, paper copy, I had to go and buy a digital copy. And, and you're going to say, oh, what a dumbass, because he could have waited a month or and got it for a $1.99. Well, yes, I am a dumbass, but, but I love it, and I'm not afraid to admit I'm a dumbass for spending so much money, but... I wanted to see all these frames digitally. I wanted to zoom in them, see every little line and detail that, that Giffen did. But OMAC number one is done by Dan DiDio and Keith Giffen. And I I just want to say that it was my favorite book. And it made me extremely happy. Um, it's probably not going to affect... 99.90, you know, 99% of you the way it affected me, but it was so amazing to me. Uh, I went through every page four or five times, and you know, I heard people saying, like in the tweets, oh, the artwork is really great if you like Jack Kirby. Well, it is, but Dan DeDio did a hell of a job, and I'm not just saying that because I love Dan DeDio, I do, but. He of all the books that he's written, um, he really captured I I think what what Kirby did in the original OMAC series, but tweaked it for a modern day take. And he brought back key scenes and key characters in this book that really paid tribute to Jack Kirby. But this takes place at Cadmus Industries. <coughs> We're introduced to. A woman who's the assistant director of environmental research and development, Jody Robbins, and a manager who's a biotechnical services manager. And she's looking for her boyfriend that works at this place. His name is Kevin Coe. 
He's a key name you have to remember at Cadmus. And this Cadmus is built like so you have like your regular just like your your major company would be, you know, like if you're a company, you'd have a major building outside with your logo and whatever. But there's a lot of stuff that goes underground that the public doesn't know about. <laughs> but these people work <coughs> in the above ground area. And while they're searching for their friend, or she's looking for her friend, she must be, like, in demand because she's like a sex pot. Because everybody wants a piece of uh, Jody. But she's intimate with Kevin, at least that's the way it seems. But anyway, you have all these guards and these gray jumpsuits look like Kirby uniforms. I mean, it's a car! <sighs> so good. And uh, they're... they're all of a sudden, some walls break in, and shit gets, you know, flying around. And you got to see the art; it's just so fantastic. And they're shooting at somebody, and it's Omac. It's this, you know, creature that looks like pays tribute to the original Omac, but also pays tribute to the Omacs that were created in the 2000s. And uh, he actually uh, throws stuff at the guards, takes the guards out. And uh, I also want to point out that the story was also by Keith Giffen, so I don't know how how they went back and f back and forth on this, but man, it's great. But anyway, he's he's like talking to a computer, you know, that computer that's in his head, brother I. And in this form, he's like talking through computers that are in you know in his head, or he's actually talking through monitors that are around the building. And he's saying, you know, he's trying to give him directions on how to get to the lower level so he can destroy or get what he needs to get, the files that Brother I needs. <coughs> and uh, meanwhile, they're outside. All the, you know, that woman's outside. Everybody's outside. Somebody's trying to hit on her. <laughs> and then inside, a mile beneath the surface, you have Lord Macari. And if you remember, Lord Macari was in The Final Crisis by Grant Morrison, so now he's here, and it's good to see him again, and he's with a woman. You don't get to know the, her name, but she looks like a sex pot. Yes, I think Jack Kirby's art is sexy, and uh, he's saying, you know, increase security, have duplex go after him. Duplex, whoa, nice. So, um... So we see Dublex, and he goes out with a bunch of uh, guards that pay tribute to the original guards that were in the original series that was done by Jack Kirby, and they go after him, and he's like, opposition, you know, Omax says, and he's like, I'm Dublex, and he introduces himself, and he's like, I, I have the powers of the mind, so I can take you out. But Omax brushes him aside. But Dublex does give some of his origin. You, you get brief glimpses of when he's trying to read his mind of who who this character is and how he became Omac before Omac just back, back smacks him and hits him in the face and then takes out every single one of those guards with the red hood faces. And then uh, he gets into the building where Lord Makari is and he sends his woman after him. And his woman, oh, this is so good. His woman comes out you know, the sexy woman, and she pulls her face off of her head, and this machine gun comes, or these guns come out of her mouth, and just blows the shit out of Omac. 
And you know what she is? Ah! A Build-A-Friend! A Build-A-Friend! And I think even if you saw the animated series when they had OMAC, they had a Build-A-Friend thing in there. But oh my god. Geekgasm right there, baby. But he ends up destroying his build, um, Makari's Build-A-Friend. And then he sends all these, like, demon dogs, very Kirby-esque, after him. And Omak defeats them pretty ha single-handedly. Very hulking, very powerful, very robotic Omak. In other words, he, he he's pretty much single-syllable, you know, words just boom, boom, boom. Kind of like the old Hulk. And um, smashing the shit out of everything. You get a great two-page panel spread. Oh, my God, is it good. And it did look good on the iPad for people that are complaining about two panel spreads on iPad. That really worked. Um, so he gets to his destination. The communication ports are blocked, so he, he wants to get the information. He establishes connection into the computer, grabs the files that that brother I was trying to get, and he's like, mission complete. And then he blinks out, um, out of there with uh, whatever he needed. And then Kevin wakes up, uh, and Co Kevin Co, and he's like, "What the fuck? I don't. Wh why am I not in my office? Why am I in the dirt? You know what the hell's going on? What the hell?" She gets a phone call from Brother I, and Brother I's talking to him, and says, "You know, I had control of you, and your life is mine now. And don't forget to call your girlfriend." <laughs> it's so good. Oh man, you should buy this book if you like me. If you like me, you'll buy this book and keep buying it, even if you don't like the book, because you like me, and I love it. You make me happy. All right, well, that's it. And uh, this is the what I'm going to probably be doing with Rocky Mountain Comic Book Noise is whatever I damn well feel like it. Uh, it'll let me explore areas where I can talk about things in a non-group setting of how I feel about things, which um, will probably be like right after I read something or now that I have a portable recorder, it's easy to do this. I just take it with me wherever I go. And uh, I don't know what you'll get in the future, but this is what I felt like recording about. I'll probably do the rest of the 52 just because I'm enjoying it. We're exploring a new universe and it's just so exciting and just to go to the comic shop and see the people that are excited like my comic shop is not a small shop and it's a primarily dominated marvel shop in other words most people don't buy dc so when you see like that they sold out of detective action and some of these other titles back you know girl that's a great sign even if they ordered 40 each because for, that's 120 comic books sold in one fucking day. And, and that's just those three books for DC. That's a lot of books. And, um, man, it, there were people coming in and getting what they wanted. And it seems like the characters that are popular are still going to be the ones that sell, you know, like people were looking for Batgirl. People are looking for Batman, you know, detective or Superman. Not too many people going into the other areas like OMAC and stuff, but you are, you owe it to yourself 
to try them because they're so good. Like my top three books. Um, one of them is one of the big sellers, Batgirl. Um, Animal Man's probably in the mid-tier, and OMAC is at the very bottom, but they were all perfect books. And the other ones that I, I really enjoyed um, that I want to point out, even though they weren't five out of fives, were Stormwatch. I really enjoyed that book. And um, Justice League International, that was also very enjoyable to me. And Men of War, which surprised the hell out of me because I wasn't sure what to expect with that. But that's that's how I feel about these books. And uh, look forward to talking to the recorder in another couple weeks. See ya. Bye. This has been an episode of Rocky Mountain Comic Book Noise. If you want to send me an email, you can go to um, uh I think you have to go to the Comic Book Noise family page to get this because I don't have an own website. And my email is mike at comicbooknoise.com, so that's how you can get a hold of me. My Twitter is Mike Myers Brunch. If you have any comments about what I talked about, what I liked, or what you liked, or if you want to share that information, that I'd like to know about it. Especially if you're somebody in the Rocky Mountain region, especially in the Colorado, I'd really like to know. Because... Man, shit, we could go have a beer and talk about OMAC. What the hell? Um, so that, that's my contact information. I'm also uh, a member of the DC Noise podcast and Geek Brunch podcast. So you can also find me there. I'll talk to you later. Bye. <laughs> Yeah.